Before we begin, please refer to the disclaimer and link in the podcast notes, and note that all opinions expressed in this podcast are intended for informational purposes only and should not be treated as investment or financial advice. Okay, welcome everyone to this week's Twitter space. Uh, on this afternoon, we have, we have Lockie from, from Labrys. Um, I'll let you do, do an intro, Lockie, if you could tell us all a bit about uh, what, what Labrys does and it's, I suppose your background and how you got, got started with, with the company. Sure. Um, so yeah, so my name's Lockie Feeney. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of Labrys. Uh, so I've been involved in the blockchain space, uh, for a while now. I, um, sort of got into Bitcoin and sort of 2013, 2014. Um, and, um, yeah, I got super passionate about the space. Um, I started working at a few different blockchain companies around sort of 2015, 2016. And then in 2017, I founded Labrys. Um, so Labrys is now today um, Australia's largest onshore blockchain development studio. So um, we're sort of a consulting and development company and um, we work with all sorts of different clients to basically help them build out uh, their Web3 products. Uh, so, yeah, we've been doing that for about five years now and um, going really well. We have an awesome team uh, up here in Brisbane. And, um, yeah, we, we, we just love uh, building cool blockchain tech. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, I think I saw... Um a few members from the team up at the, the Australian crypto conference recently. And yeah, it was good to put some faces to some names. Um, but yeah, speaking of, I suppose, one of, one of those, those tools you, your team has been working on, I think the, the topic that we'll, we'll be covering today is, uh, is MEV or, or maximal extractable value as, um, has been a very hot topic the last couple of months with respect to Ethereum in particular, um, discussions, you know, it often gets brought into discussions around, I guess, Ethereum's censorship resistance. Us now that the merge has been completed successfully, which still feels weird to say. Um, and one thing that I suppose is really helping, I suppose, the broader Ethereum and, and crypto community just monitor, I suppose, that that I guess one vector of looking at censorship resistance is is through um, the amount of, I suppose you know, the, these relays that we'll, we'll get into shortly that are, I suppose, accepting transactions that are compliant with, with OFAC and, and others that, that aren't compliant with OFAC. Um, so we'll, we'll get into what all that means and, you know, what, what the the threats are if you, if you were to extrapolate out and, and really take it to the extreme um, or even not so. But um, I think we'll, we'll kick things off with, I suppose, the impetus, Lockie, for whether it was yourself or, or a team member that, that really, um, you know, came up with it, the idea for, for making uh, mevwatch.info is uh, the website for anyone anyone listening. Um, yeah, if you could just talk a bit about that, that'd be great. Sure. Um, yeah, so um, I can uh, happily uh, claim without um, uh, annoying any of my team members that the uh, idea behind mevwatch was originally my own and um, so i'm like outside of work and um, i uh, run my own like eth pos validators um i've actually been uh running uh eth validators since genesis back in sort of december uh of 2020 so um i'm super like uh passionate about the pos uh sort of uh uh, ecosystem and um, have been following it very closely, like not just from a, a business perspective, but um, also from, you know, running some validators myself perspective. So um, there's always sort of been this, um, uh, you know, talk pre-merge about centralization issues, about MEV issues and these sorts of things. But I don't think anyone really um, understood uh, or, or had a clear picture of just how bad it would be or whether it would be an issue at all. Um, so I and the team here at Labrys was very keen 
uh, to sort of uh, see, uh, you know, post-merge, look into things and go, okay, what, what is actually happening now that we're on proof-of-stake Ethereum? Um, because, you know, MEV Boost was only released into production, I think it was like a few days or, or the week before um, uh, we we had the merge. So it, it very much, uh, you know, a matter of, going through the merge and then sort of looking at the data and seeing what's happening. Um, so, you know, I, as a part of the process, like I was setting up um, some uh, uh, MEV boost on my own validators um, and uh, yeah, just noticed uh, how the majority of the validators um, are OFAC compliant. So there's seven main or major validate uh, uh, MEV relays, sorry. Uh, that are that are operational at the moment, and four of those um, are OFAC compliant and will censor um, basically OFAC sanctioned transactions. Um, so already out of the box, like regardless, before you start looking at the data, just the fact that the majority of the relays that are available um, are OFAC compliant uh, is is a big issue. Um, and then so we sort of built this. Uh, tool, which is mevwatch.info, uh, to try and analyze the data and go, okay, we know that a majority of the relays are going to to censor and are going to be compliant, but how bad actually is that issue? And, um, you know, if, if you go to mevwatch.info today, you'll see that uh, pretty much one in two blocks uh, is uh, censoring. So it's about 50% of all blocks are using one of these censoring relays, uh, which is a massive issue and uh, it's only getting worse. So that that's sort of how it started. Um, but um, yeah, we're really just trying to raise awareness about the issue and we can get into why and how we think we can fix it and all of those things later. But um, yeah, that that's sort of where it came from. Yeah, no, very. No, thanks for uh, breaking that down. And you know, there, there probably aren't many, many here who, who have even uh, you know staked, staked since since Genesis. Um, so to have that that insight of, of yourself going along the whole the whole journey and that that personal interest as well in, in actually you know staking as part of a, a POS network um, as well, rather than just the business interest, um, was very cool. So, so I suppose break down that. For listeners here and, and in the pod and in the podcast as well, um, just the whole, I guess the the supply chain, if you will, of of MEB. Um, you know, th this is in particular for for the relays. Is it not lucky this uh this website? So the relays is almost almost like the middleman between what are called block producers and block builders. If my understanding is correct. Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're primarily looking at the relays. Um, so uh, there's sort of, uh, there's, there's MEV Boost, which is um, uh, the software that's been built by Flashbots. Um, MEV Boost itself is open source. Um, it's not doing any censoring um, itself. It's a you know, uh, I guess it depends on your opinion on MEV at all, but generally, like, um, the community is pretty happy with what Flashbots has done with MEV Boost. Um, but you have um, uh, to, to basically submit a block to MEV Boost. And um, sorry, I'll start with, so if you're running a validator, um, you can opt in to run MEV Boost on your validator. And basically what MEV Boost will do is it'll give your validator the option to basically accept the most profitable block for any of the relays that um, you want to accept blocks from. And um, this will earn you extra transaction fees and extra sort of yield on your validator. So if you decide as a validator that you want to turn on MEV Boost to earn extra yield, you then get to choose in your MEV Boost config, uh, config which relays you'd like to run. So as I said, there's about seven uh, major relays out there. Um, and so these relays will submit uh, blocks to MEV Boost um, and your validator will pick 
the most profitable block from MEV Boost to to um, propose it and and earn those transaction fees, um, and then you have the builders and the searchers as completely separate entities. So they're they're basically creating um, or building the blocks in the first place, uh, finding the MEV and getting all the transactions in the right order and those sorts of things. But the censorship um, or compliance is happening at the relay level. So um, the relayers are enforcing rules that they will only relay blocks to MEV boost that are compliant um, with OFAC. Uh, for those of you who don't know what OFAC is, um, it's uh, basically a department of the US government um, um, that has sanctioned a certain uh, tornado cash transactions. So um, uh, the, there is still um, one of the more complicated parts of this is that um, there's differing legal opinions on whether the relays actually need to censor or not um, under mm. the sort of uh, guidance that OFAC has put out thus far. Um, but they're taking the cautious approach. Approach uh, Basically, the, these relays are businesses like, you know, Labris. They're, they're not, um, uh, you know, they're, they're not necessarily decentralized systems. In the most part, they're incorporated uh, companies mostly operating in the US and so their interpretation is that they are required to uh, build blocks that are compliant with OFAC and so basically if you use one of these OFAC compliant relays um, they will only uh, uh, submit blocks or relay blocks to MEV boost that are um, compliant so basically if your validator ends up proposing a block from one of these censoring uh, uh, relays, uh, then your validator is sort of contributing to censorship of the network. Um, Flashbots cops the most flack for this because they're by far the largest um, MEV relay that censors, but there are others as well that um, are also part of the problem. Yeah, right. And then I suppose, yeah, I think as as you said at the top, MEV Boost was yeah, released, you know, plus minus two days of the merge um, and then basically has increased its, its portion um, from, I think it was about, yeah, from watching MEVwatch.info over the past couple of weeks, it was, yeah, tracking at about, you know, 20% back in for SOFAC compliance and you know now just looking today at the 24 hours it's all the way up to 49 percent um i suppose what what would explain that increase portion just just more people i suppose more validators opting to choose mev boost yeah so there's there's two things going on there um one of them is we added the extra time frame um to uh mevboost.info so if you the number you would have been seeing previously which is about 25 percent um is on the all time time frame so if you look at the chart at the moment on all time which is basically mm. the percentage of all blocks since the merge um you get a number of about 33 percent so all time blocks have have gone up about 25, 24, 25, up to 33. Um, but if you look at the one day, that's um, us only taking into consideration blocks that have been produced in the last 24 hours, how many of those um, were enforcing compliance. And that's, uh, you know, reporting the 49% number. So there's a little bit of difference there in terms of which data you're looking at. But if you scroll down a little bit, um, we now have this sort of historical chart which shows um, percentage of sort of compliance over time. And you can see pretty much a pretty steady increase um, in uh, uh, basically increased sort of uh, OFAC compliant blocks. And this is pretty much just more validators turning on MEV boost. And, um, and most of, you know, Flashbots is kind of considered the default. Everyone's running Flashbots. Um, it's also the most profitable relay at the moment. So if you're going to run MEV Boost, 
you're pretty much going to run flash bots and that's why um uh you know the the uh compliance issue the ofac issue is sort of running in line with as more validators enable MEV boost the censorship issue gets worse um but a really important sort of uh note here is that i don't think you know most of the validators who are contributing to this issue are not doing it out of fear of not being compliant or are doing it because they want to censor or for legal reasons these validators are turning on mev boost because it increases their yield you know why wouldn't you uh you know turn this this on if it if it makes you more money especially when you start saying um there's a there's a twitter bot that um uh posts every now and again like uh large um MEV rewards and you'll see every now and again like someone gets like a 5 ETH reward or a 10 ETH reward for for proposing their block and so people see this and they go oh you know it would be stupid not to turn MEV boost on and so they turn it on because they want the yield but by chasing the yield um they're you know harming the network in terms of uh engaging in censorship and so this is one of the biggest issues at the moment is just that the incentives are all misaligned and uh you know uh, the number of validators who are turning on MEV boost is not slowing down at all um uh, but it it's not because they want to censor it's because they you know are just chasing the extra yield so that that's the challenge that we're up against yeah man and i were actually just talking about this um two hours ago about this how it's the human nature and the economic incentive of it all that of course you want to make that big reward because we've been seeing um people don't want to obviously uh go into an mev you know provider if they not going to get that big reward and at the moment flashbots look like they're that team who have uh the big brains behind them as well to continually um innovate and and, and get that big reward and is that is that just because it's uh the flashbots team that's uh the best at extracting it or is that the way does that have an impact i guess on if it's uh the level of transactions that are coming through yeah so look i i think it's a bit of both um i think i think it's a bit of you know flashbots has has a better team better infrastructure um is able to sort of um extract more value um and also i think more you know builders are just submitting to flashbots compared to the other relays as well so um it's a bit of both there but th- this is a big challenge because flashbots um you know this isn't a new thing you know mev boost is new around the time of the merge but uh mev has obviously been around for for a number of years now flashbots has been you know at the center of that so they are light years ahead of everyone else when it comes to extracting mev um and i've seen you know a few different people making arguments saying that oh you know the ofac blocks will be less profitable because there's less transactions that they can include and so on and you know the economic incentives will work out so that um you know the the relays that don't censor will actually be able to extract the most value but that's just simply not true in the short term and and the the data sort of speaks for itself like flashbots although they are the strictest in terms of censoring out of any of the relays they are still by far the most profitable and that's not going to change in the short term uh given how much of a head start uh they've had so um yeah that's that's one of the massive challenges that the ecosystem is up against uh because i i don't um you know i still think everyone underestimates just how big of an issue this is and that you know uh, the incentives will work themselves out in the long run or we'll get you know pbs or these uh, transaction inclusion lists and things in the long run but this is an issue right now um that that needs to be addressed and so uh 
you know, that's the challenge of how, how do we actually address this in the short term? Yeah, I think one thing I think Labrys has at least done is, is yeah, shed shed light on it, help help more people. I suppose, yeah, as you said, Lockie, it's probably not something a lot of people comprehend, I suppose, the potential like severity of it or, or the risks involved with just letting it go, but at least with more data and more awareness of of your of your website, it can it can move the needle at least. Like in, in terms of I suppose you know, there's there's on the the I guess the core Ethereum you know protocol there's, there's efforts start of next year and into next year about you know with the Shanghai like enabling withdrawals for staking and then um, EIP four eight four four whatever like proto dank sharding and improving you know Ethereum scalability. In your opinion, do you think this um, this issue that we're currently facing even is is higher on the priority list than Ethereum? becoming more scalable uh yes i do um but i'm like i i I, in my mind it is the most important issue um but i'm not convinced that um we can solve this issue in the short term with a technical solution so to be clear we already know how to fix this issue at the, the technical level. So if we wanted to reprioritize all efforts, um, uh, you know, away from scaling and all of these sorts of things, we could start tomorrow um, on this and, you know, actually solve the problem and uh, move on. And the issue is we don't really know how long that's going to take. As you said, the, the priority and the roadmaps at the moment is... Uh, Protodank sharding, it's withdrawals, um, there's a few other things going on. Um, and so we just don't know how long it's going to take to fix this sort of technical issue. You know, I've, I've been in the Ethereum space uh, pretty much since the ICO, and I can remember, you know, people saying in 2015 and 2016 that proof of stake was six months away. And, you know, it it took us seven or eight years um, since the original white paper to actually get there. So I'm not saying that, um, you know, uh, uh, transaction inclusion lists and PBS and all of these other censorship sort of resistance uh, tools are as complicated as, um, uh, uh, as proof of stake in terms of implementing it in the protocol, but protocol level changes are slow they always take longer um, than uh, everyone anticipates they come at the cost of uh, working on other things at the protocol level such as scalability so in my mind like I, I get a bit frustrated when people sort of hand wave this away and go oh you know censorship yeah it's it's, mm. it's bad today but we'll fix that in you know the next hard fork or, or whatever in my opinion, that that's too long. I think this problem actually needs to be addressed at the social layer um, first. We still need to do that. We still need to imp- implement it at the the protocol layer. But I'm not sure, um, you know, we we can rely entirely on that. Which is, you know, why we've implemented and rolled out MEV Watch to raise awareness. Um, and try and convince some people to say, hey, um, you know, your validator is is contributing to censorship of the network, you might want to consider, you know, switching to a uh, non-censoring relay, you can still earn more yield um, than what you would without MEV boost. Um, But, you know, that uh, extra tiny little bit of yield on top that you get from a a Mm. non-censoring relay to a censoring one is probably not worth, you know, uh, Mm. destroying the sort of credible neutrality of the network over. Yeah, it's a, I think, yeah, more of that, yeah, more of that education um, with the rollout today of of the upgrade as well uh, will help and we'll certainly be doing our bit here collective shift to point people 
towards it and even um, just creating content about about the issues. Um, I was also sad just pinned to the top today. I think Coin7 did file a lawsuit yes. um, against against the US uh, Treasury. Um, but again, you know, it's like that could take longer yeah. to resolve than, than a protocol upgrade in Ethereum. Like it's great that that's happening and it should help, I guess, raise awareness socially as well of, hey, well, there's CoinSense is actually taking this uh, seriously. Like David Hoffman, I think he's put his yeah. name to it. Um, so, you know, that's fantastic from a social awareness, but through the court system, um, will probably take some time. So you did mention earlier, yeah, just just other ways. Is is that the main way? I so I suppose just through socially just, just raise raising awareness, um, I suppose of yeah, what what the cost of, of Ethereum potentially it's jeopardizing its credible neutrality. Um is that is that the main way or is there any other ways that, that don't involve I suppose a protocol upgrade? Yeah, so I think the answer is we have to be working on all fronts um, across this, which includes both the technical and the social front. So, you know, we do need to uh, get working on actual protocol level upgrades, but we can't rely solely on that. So um, the, uh, you know, the the suit from uh, Coin Center. Uh, today is a great step in the right direction because if they, um, you know, if, if they win that battle, then this whole thing goes away because, uh, you know, they, they uh, get rid of this whole um, OFAC requirement that you even need to get rid of uh, these transactions mm. in the first place. So that's a really good initiative. But as you said, that, that will take a ton of time um, and, you know, in, in my opinion, like we, we, we just need to do everything we can in the short term. Like Ethereum uh, it's built its whole uh, ecosystem on the concept of decentralization. You know, if this issue was happening on uh, other blockchains, um, it, it probably wouldn't be that big of an issue. Uh, and, and that's okay because, you know, some chains... Uh, you know, whether it be uh, sort of Binance Smart Chain or Solana um, or, or these other chains, like they make the uh, trade-off and say, okay, we're willing to sacrifice some decentralization and some security uh, for scalability. And users who value that um, trade-off will go and use those platforms. But Ethereum has spent eight years trading off scalability to be the number one decentralized smart contract uh, platform, decentralized and secure platform, which has come at the cost of scalability. So if the whole concept of decentralization goes out the window because of this OFAC issue, and it just becomes a you know centrally controlled US regulator controlled chain, then all of that work um, and 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 an effort that that sacrifice scalability and all of these other things is completely for waste, and so that's why this is such an important issue to the Ethereum blockchain that I don't think the community um, quite appreciates uh, just yet. And although you know this is what we call soft censorship at the moment where because it's only 50 percent you know the the transactions will eventually get included um you know this has the potential to lead to hard censorship and sort of uh much worse outcomes uh the good news is that we've faced similar challenges before um you know i can remember not that long ago when uh prism um who you know just got acquired by Arbitrum and Offchain Labs today? So congratulations to them. But um, I can remember not that long ago when seventy percent of the validators on Ethereum were running Prism, um, and nowadays that that's down at uh, about thirty-ish uh, percent. Um, and for those of you who don't know why that's an issue or not, basically if there was a bug in Prism when 
over two thirds of the network are running Prism, you could take down the whole chain and um, it'd be a catastrophic disaster. So how did we fix that issue? We fixed it with social consensus. We fixed it by, um, you know, sort of shaming validators who are running Prism into uh, running minority clients. And it was very, very effective. Uh, you know, it, it took us a few months we turned the issue around completely, and now uh, the client diversity is sitting at a very healthy level. And so this is what we need to do on the social uh, layer front for Ethereum, uh, is, is push people, those validators who are running a censoring relay, uh, you know, encourage them uh, uh, to move off of that. You can still run MEB Boost, but just don't run a censoring relay um, until we can fix this issue at, at the protocol level. And the more awareness we can do around that, um, the more effective we can be in sort of creating that social change. We've done it before, we can do it again. But in my opinion, if we don't get it right this time, the consequences are potentially, you know, worse than if we didn't get the client diversity issues fixed. Yeah, I think at that time there were there were sites like uh, clientdiversity.org and um, I think it was pools.invis.cloud, which again put that pressure on, on on big entities that were using Prism um, and really raised awareness. And I guess in a similar vein, this has almost inspired the creation of mevwatch.info and um, you know really trying to again just shed light on the issue and hopefully it can be just as effective um as as it was previously um uh, just audience uh, if anyone did want to want to raise raise their hand and, and ask a question uh to Lockie about anything we've been discussing uh do feel free to to come up on stage for a question as well um yeah i suppose um i do have some yeah other yeah other questions about MEB, but i'm just conscious of not opening opening a can of worms <laughs> because it can it can go down a rabbit hole for sure um yeah but yeah i think a lot of people a lot of people with with MEB, i think just um yeah it does cop a lot of flack but i think i think what what flashbots did when they they came out with you know that whole dark forest sort of blog post you know, it was all seemingly well intentioned because wasn't it wasn't it the case that I guess the everyday Ethereum user was was suffering higher than necessary, oh well, arguably necessary transaction fees because a lot of the the bidding and MEV searches were were essentially just using on chain bidding and that was driving up gas fees. Wasn't that what inspired Flashbots to even I guess be founded? Yeah, so uh, that that was definitely one of um, you know sort of the the reasons behind it. Like, there's there's a lot of good that can come from MEV, but uh, there's there's also a lot of bad. And I think Flashbots, like, they're they're in a very you know difficult place, and I don't envy them at all. Uh, they cop a lot of flack. Um, in most cases, like, I think they're very well intentioned. I think uh, they're sort of caught between a rock and a hard place. Um, you know, I'm sure that uh, if, like, I'm sure that they do not want to be censoring transactions. I'm sure, you know, most of their team uh, would be looking for every possible way um, that they can at the moment to try and make this issue go away and not be contributing to sort of the the censorship of the network um uh, because you know their, their whole business relies on ethereum sort of being successful and um continuing on in its mission so they're in a tough place i don't think they want to be doing this um and you know as i said there's there's uh, plenty of other relays that are censoring as well flashbots cop pretty much all the flack um uh, for the censorship, but they're not the only ones doing it. Um, but they've invested so much time and money in the MEV space. They've built some, you know, amazing tools. They've open sourced uh, so many different things. So 
um, yeah, I, I really don't envy them. They're, in many ways, they've done a really, really good job and contributed uh, a, an enormous amount uh, to the space. So, um, you know, I don't want Labrys to be seen as like, uh, you know, Flatbox <laughs> arch nemesis or anything. Um, but unfortunately, they have found themselves at the the center of uh, you know an issue that that is causing harm to the Ethereum network at the moment. So, um, you know how they resolve that, I don't know. But in the short term, uh, you know, all we can do is sort of, uh, or, or one of the things we could do is, as I said, raise awareness um and uh, uh encourage validators to switch to to non ofac compliant relays i i rock in a hard place i see the delay flash um, team has been there for a couple of years has left um to twitter it's uh stefan uh, they left because I guess there's this tough thing where they're a real business as well, and they've got to uh, dangle, you know, this profit verse, I guess, altruism. And it's really, really tough on the team. But I also like to say it's a lot of good in terms of helping, I guess, reduce some centralization in a way. Because the thing with MEV is it's, I think, about 600 million plus has been captured through MEV. And that's probably an under estimate as well because there would have been a lot of MEV that has been captured way before, you know before it even really started being counted yeah um because it comes here that that flash spots there the person who is staking by themselves might not have the technical ability to run these sophisticated MEV strategies um because at the end of the day it takes a lot of talent a lot of knowledge uh, and a lot of ability to, to do this. That's why Flashbots is there to as an add-on to help those solo stakers and those validators uh, not have to worry about that and use that software that's there for them to use. Because if uh, Flashbots, say, weren't providing the software, then you'll have a case where only the best, the strongest, uh, and the most knowledgeable teams are able to extract MEV, which then only uh, can lead to uh, central station down the road as they'll just be able to extract most MEV, which then gets staked on the network, which then they're able to extract MEV, it gets staked. So they're able to increase their proportion of, you know, Ethereum at stake on the network continually, which can compound the centralization. And a smaller person wouldn't be able to extract MEV without an ability to. So it's this tough situation where there's a lot of good that's been done, but now it's a case of this OFAC um, and for those who aren't aware, um, that is the office for financial sanctions, which is the same office that sanctions Iran, for example. So yeah, it's, it's a really tough one for the team. Yeah, definitely. And um, uh, yeah, it, like the, it's definitely sort of uh, democratized access to MEV. Um, and uh, for the most part, I think, most people would think that's a good thing um, and just to be clear as well like this isn't only a, a post-merge um, issue like this is an issue for all blockchains um, you know including proof-of-work chains like uh, Bitcoin and like proof-of-work Ethereum um, it was just that before um, uh, you know the ETH merge all these uh, or ETH proof of work was uh, doing all of this MEV behind closed doors with, uh, you know, private deals between mining pool operators who got to decide um, what transactions would go in blocks. Um, so, you know, in many ways, this has helped sort of shed light on, um, you know, the dark forest. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's also by democratizing it and by opening it up, um, we're making it super easy for, you know, a very large portion of the network to uh, censor. So we, we have to sort of, uh, yeah, deal with the good and the bad. I guess that is where it's become a bit more, you know, imminent or a bit more pressing that something needs to be done post-merge now because 
if it's my understanding correct, it's more like proof of work is a bit uh, a bit more like you know defensive against this sort of ability to censor because isn't it isn't it true that like the miners can add can't they add their own transactions after after the facts or something where it's in in stakers that's kind of that whole mechanism is is not not there yeah so my my understanding of the difference is that um, with a lot of the mining pools obviously some mining pools operate differently but most of the mining pools, uh, the miners uh, have nothing to do, uh, like those who are creating the hash power, contributing the hash power to the mining pools. They really don't have a say in what transactions are included in the blocks. They just sort of get given a pre-built block um, by the mining pool operator. Um, and then um, they, they just sort of uh, uh, hash uh, transactions or, or basically commit their hash power to to um, find the right nonce and so on and win the block. Um, one of, uh, you know, the, the argument that's usually touted by the proof-of-work guys is that, um, you know, in proof-of-work, if your mining pool is censoring, you can very easily, um, you know, switch uh, your hash, move your hash power, direct it to another mining pool that's, that's not censoring. Um, that's obviously not the case um, on Ethereum proof of stake, uh, at least until withdrawals are enabled. Um, and then even once withdrawals are enabled, they're, they're obviously rate limited um, as well. So there are some different pros and cons. But if you're mm. a solo validator, you're totally in control of all of this. Um, you know, it, it was basically infeasible to solo mine on a proof of work blockchain. Uh, but um, on mm. a proof of state, you can solo mine, you can choose uh, which relays you want to use. And, um, uh, you know, if, if you don't want to censor, uh, then you can turn that off uh, immediately. And, and that's what we're encouraging everyone to do. Yeah, no, it's um, definitely one we'll have to continue to monitor and i've seen some people retweeting mvp watches um you know screenshots from from them and with the addition of those charts i think it's even more screenshot friendly as well so i would expect that to continue and would encourage all listeners just to, to keep checking in and you know asking questions um to certain validators or or even these these staking as a service operators and whatnot uh, just to keep building awareness and putting pressure um, on them. So, yeah, if there are any questions uh, from the audience, um, we'll wrap it up there with Lockie. Uh, otherwise, Lockie, what, what else is, is Libris sort of, you know, really focusing on until, you know, end of the year sort of at the moment? Yeah, so I, I guess to clarify, like, um, MEV watch, this is, you know, very sort of um, out of our usual domain, like most of uh, what we're spending time doing is, uh, you know, we're a consultancy and development agency. So we're working on client uh, projects. Um, whereas, um, you know, MEV watch, we've, we've built that ourselves it hasn't been built by uh, uh, for a client it has built uh, been built sort of internally by labris uh, for the community so um, and we you know we we our business is very much reliant on the success of the blockchain industry and we sort of saw the the censorship issue uh, as a uh, you know potential uh, threat to the success of the the industry and extension the success of our business so um we sort of put that out there um which as i said is very out of the ordinary uh for what we usually do um but uh, just because of how big an issue we see this as and no one else seemed to be talking about it so um we we uh, no one else was going to do it then uh we've made accommodations to do it ourselves but um yeah, usually we're working on client stuff. Uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, game five projects 
recently um a lot of stuff that i can't really uh talk about because it's still sort of um under development uh but we get to work on some really really awesome projects at labris like we're working with a few different uh aaa game development studios at the moment big name uh studios who your listeners would know but don't currently know that they're working on web3 games so um that's super cool we're working with some esports teams and um different things so uh, a lot's really been happening in the gaming space um but um yeah just generally uh nft projects are still fairly hot and uh those sorts of things a bit of defi um so yeah just working on a whole range of different um uh client projects at the moment that are super exciting and hopefully we'll get announced um over the next little period oh very very cool and uh yeah it's hard not to not to prod deeper but um but no, I'll, I'll leave you i'll leave you to it and await the announcements um no, very exciting um i've seen crypto crypto spanglish uh pop up on stage someone we did meet in uh, at the gold coast which was uh which was very very cool put a a uh face to the name uh, if you do want to unmute yourself or maybe i'll have to do that no yeah hey guys yeah it was nice meeting you in the host CryptoCon. i work here at lagos and yeah what i just wanted to ask or to say i was listening yesterday to the to the Twitter spaces between, I think, the guys from the blog and Hasu, who works in, in Flashbots. Um, and he was saying, like, yeah, the situation now looks bad short term, but potentially long, medium to long term wouldn't be too bad. Because right now, you know, this gives a perfect excuse to exchanges, so, you know, who have a lot of the, um, the stake or the validators, like, you know, Kraken, Coinbase, Binance, and so forth, to be compliant through flashbots and basically you know wash their hands off uh, but maybe when the withdrawals are enabled you know people will be sort of shuffling their stake and maybe things get better how do you I guess it's a general question for everyone but i thought that comment was interesting yeah i suppose it's, it's how long until shanghai is is deployed as well which doesn't have a time frame like either yeah, it could be six, nine months away um, until withdrawals are enabled. And yeah, I did hear Hasu say, I think it was on that that space that well, I've never heard this before, but he said one percent of all staked Ethereum or staked Ether is um, just one percent of that is actually owned directly by, you know, like by solo validators or you know the the address that owns the ETH is also the validator. He says 99% uh, just through staking as a service providers or, or exchanges. And um, I've never heard, I've never heard that stat be so extreme. Um, I'm not sure, Lockie, if you've heard anything yeah. similar, but um, it kind of goes towards people's, I suppose, enthusiasm or just, I guess, want to put that responsibility or onus on someone else. Yeah, so I, I, I did hear that um, stat. Um, I'd like to see the data behind yeah. it because I think it's filtering down um, way, way, way too far. All the other data that I've seen um, indicates that solo validators um, or, you know, at-home validators are, are substantially larger mm. than, than 1%. Um, but it, it raises the point that we do need to encourage more, you know, we need to make it easier for people to stake at home. Um, we do need to enable withdrawals to allow, um, you know, stake to basically move around the ecosystem. Um, but most of these sort of arguments, I, you know, sort of see as you know flashbots trying to deflect some of the short-term uh, uh sort of attention uh that you know this will all sort itself out in the long run uh that that's just not how these things work they they get solved by people actually making conscious decisions and things getting 
changed and you can't just hand wave that away and say, oh, someone else will fix this or it'll fix itself once withdrawals are enabled. Um, you know, one of the key challenges is really the incentives. Like even once withdrawals are enabled, I think, you know, stake is just going to uh, sort of accumulate wherever the highest yields uh, are, which is also potentially you know, uh, on the, the the services that are using Flashbots uh, sort of relay. So, um, mm. yeah, I, I am uh, not sure that you can just hand wave those things away. I, I think, um, you know, everyone here who's listening and um, everyone who comes across one of the MEB boost or mebwatch.info uh, tweets or anything else, um, you know, it's up to you as the users because this this is our um, ecosystem. If um, uh, you know, if we don't fix this, then um, you know your ETH uh, will be worth less, and um, DApps will migrate to other ecosystems, and um, there's all of these other issues that'll that'll come about because of it. And it will be, you know, a small minority of very loud. Um, people within the community uh, who won't tolerate the censorship who will actually turn this around um, and, and that's what we need to uh, sort of get going yeah well said um, and yeah we will uh, we will wrap things up there thank you that was a good a good question there crypto spanglish because yeah I think Hasu is obviously employed by flashbots so it was worth uh, <laughs> worth highlighting that too um yeah no thank you very much lucky for your time and for uh yeah raising raising i suppose awareness of, of why um yeah why this is is such a pressing pressing issue um and the need for it to be more on the social layer of ethereum given the the limitations or the the time period for for the other technical solutions um and yeah for anyone listening on the podcast um do make sure you check out mevwatch.info that's mevwatch.info um to keep track of yeah all things i suppose relays and censorship on um of people using our validators using mev groups so um yeah thank you thank you nick as well for joining and um yeah we'll have to we'll have to catch up lucky if this uh if this really uh, accelerates even further. Definitely. Um, yeah, no, that'd be great. And uh, thanks for having me today and helping to raise awareness. For sure. And thank you everyone for, for tuning in as well, uh, live here on Twitter space.